Good evening, Jets fans. Thank you for tuning in for yet another episode of Jet Nation Radio. I am your host, Glenn Naughton. We have a uh, exciting show lined up tonight. We're going to be joined uh, here, hopefully in a little bit, by Jets team reporter Olivia Landis. And uh, she's going to talk to us about a couple things, uh, specifically about the, the Facebook series, One Jets Drive. For those of you who caught it last week, I don't know how Jets fans feel about it. I would imagine, like myself, it's uh, it it it's a pretty damn good idea. I mean, let's face it. We keep saying it. This is the uh, the slowest time of the year. Fans are just dying for any little morsel of of football coverage you can get. And I think this is a nice thing that Jets have put together, even if it's only you know a few episodes uh, or a few minutes an episode. Last week wasn't very long. I think it was 12, 13 minutes. But just a little bit behind the scenes, see what's going on, see how things have unfolded this offseason. We did see a little bit about the uh, about Sam Darnold last week. I know this week from the uh, the preview, the one brief preview that I saw was the uh, they're going to touch on the, the day that Nick Mangold came to the facility to, to sign his one-day contract to officially retire. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, listen, it's, it's, it's certainly better than, you know, what, what you generally get this time of year, which is nothing. Um, and it, again, it is a nice look behind the scenes, some player interviews, you get to see guys in a, you know, competitive atmosphere, but at the same time, kind of loosey goosey, getting to know each other, especially offensive guys getting to know a new system. So that's going to be, uh, that we're, we're looking forward to, uh, touching base with Olivia on that. And we will also have. Our our regular weekly guest, um, Christian Dyer of Metro New York. Um, Christian's going to call in later on. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, we're going to touch base, talk a little bit about Teddy Bridgewater, his situation, which we'll probably touch on that with Olivia as well um, from different angles. Um, possibly, sorry about that. May have some technical difficulties tonight. There's just a quick heads up. Um, my uh, my software was acting up before the show, able to get everything up and running now. But if uh, if we drop or disappear, um, while I'm not able to uh, to get something rectified, I do apologize in advance. But again, hopefully that won't be an issue. And again, as I was saying, we'll have Christian on later on. We'll talk a little bit about. Uh, a little bit about Teddy Bridgewater because there's been some talk this week for those of you who've been uh, paying attention or who, who caught these articles. There was one from Rich Samini of ESPN New York, and then I believe I saw one on the Jets Wire uh, talking about the possibility of, of dealing Teddy Bridgewater to a contender uh, or just a, a quarterback needy team in exchange for an edge rusher. Um, Dante Fowler was mentioned as a possibility. If Bridgewater, if Bridgewater were to be shipped off to Jacksonville, where let's face it, Blake Bortles is just not very good, and that that, that I tell you what, that's a Super Bowl caliber defense. Um, now, would they willing to part with Fowler? You have to believe it's a possibility because a he's had some injuries, and b he's going to command big money, and they have a lot of money already invested in that defense. So that was one name that was mentioned as a possibility. Shane Ray was another. He's for me personally, he's had too many injuries. Um to I would I would almost rather get some draft picks um for Bridgewater or even if you're gonna send make that deal, maybe try to get uh try to get Shane Ray and a pick. But we'll we'll talk about some of that with Christian, see what his thoughts are on Teddy Bridgewater's value if there if there were to be a deal. And we're we're gonna talk a little about a bit about too, something I touched on earlier this off season and wanted to get Christian's thoughts and you know, as we say all the time that the the sort of universally accepted standard for judging a general manager's draft class it, it, pretty much three years. If you know a year or two you can get an indication, you can you know, you, you get somewhat of an idea, but three full seasons is when you can really look at a a draft class and say, you know, how did this pan out? You know, was was this a worthy class? Was this class a hit or a miss? And you have to look at Mike McCagney's first draft class as a, a huge miss at this point, um, with Leonard Williams being the only true contributor in that group. 
However, um, they didn't have a ton of picks that year. And two guys still hanging around, uh, Devin Smith and Lorenzo Malvin. And, you know, Smith, they've both battled injuries, but Smith has been far worse off. He's had a really difficult time staying healthy. But we'll talk a little bit with Christian about whether or not he thinks those guys, either of those two, even if one of those two were to stick as a, as even a quality backup, I think it does a lot for that class. Because, again, you only took six, seven players. Uh, Deion Simon is a guy that, you know, unfortunately seems to have been displaced by Mike Pemmel because uh, I liked what we saw out of Simon early on. And I, I really thought that he was going to be a guy who was, who was able to carve out a, a role for himself on this team, but once Mike Pennell came in last year, and I think the, the the general consensus among Jets fans, among you know reporters, onlookers, I think the general feeling was that Deion Simon, a lot of people expected him to make the roster over Mike Pennell, but of course it didn't it didn't pan out that way. So Simon went to the practice squad, and he probably will be gone. I, I can't see him making the roster this year, <clears throat> unfortunately. Um, little you know, a little bit older for a for a guy who's only got a few years in the league, but he was twenty six, twenty seven when he was drafted. But either way, you look at that class top to bottom, you know, Leo, Devin, Malden, Petty's gone, Harrison's gone, and uh, again Deion Simon was a practice squad guy uh last year. Who again it was a little bit of a surprise. I think I think a lot of people were were surprised to see that to see things unfold the way they did with him because he was uh he was he was he was Coming on, I recall Pro Football Focus had some really nice things to say about him. When I watched him on some of the All 22s, he looked like he was doing some impressive stuff. He was winning his one-on-ones up front, especially in the run game. Uh, played pretty well against Baltimore. A uh, couple pressures on Joe Flacco, so it was really uh, it was really surprising to see it unfold the way it did with him and Pennell. But let's face it, Pennell better suited for that nose tackle spot. And you know, just a just a bigger bodied guy, veteran guy, who played well down the stretch. So that probably makes Simon the odd man out. But that doesn't mean that class, you know, if uh, if you can get one of those two. I mean, I think Devin Smith at this point is the well, he's definitely the longer shot of the two. But Malden, of course, had some flashes as a rookie. Um, had a really bizarre. If, if you remember back, because of course Malden didn't play last year because of a back injury. But if you look at the way things unfolded for him the previous year, you know, year two for him, it was a really strange, you know, you almost felt like he was in the doghouse to a degree because he saw his snap counts. They were just, they were all over the place early in the season. I mean, he didn't have a great preseason. He struggled a little bit, uh, struggled with containment, saw a lot of big plays to his side, and you wondered, you know, if he was going to make that next step. Then the season kicks off, and he sort of sees his snaps just just dwindle out of out of nowhere. I think I'm gonna look that up right now. I'm I'm actually kind of curious. Um, he played. He was pretty active the first two games, if I'm not mistaken. So here's his snap counts. Yeah, so week weeks one and two, he played 23 and 24 snaps. Then over the next four weeks, 17, 6, 18, and 13. I mean, he basically disappeared. Um, you know, six snaps. It, against Seattle at home, 18 the following week, 13 the next week. And then all of a sudden, uh, against Baltimore, he's back in the rotation. And the rest of the way, his snap, his snap counts are 49, 62, 53, 35, 56. So whatever he did to – I know Todd Bowles said it was situational and matchups and all that. But to see a guy with such high expectations coming into the year is a kind of anointed a starter – and then he's getting fewer than 20 snaps a game four weeks in a row with, as I mentioned, um, fewer than 10 snaps in one week. So it really looked like Malden was done um, by the time the, you know, as the as the first half of the season was coming to a close. And then all of a sudden, week seven, uh, we see him bump up. Like I said, 62, 53, 35, 56. And then he gets himself, uh, he gets hurt and misses the rest of the season. So it looked like he was kind of trending in the right direction for them. Uh, at least in the sense that they were giving him a ton of reps to, you know, give him an opportunity to make some plays. And then all of a sudden, last year they say he's going to miss a little bit of time with a back injury, and that little bit of time turned into 
a lot more time. <clears throat> you have to pardon me. This cold is still uh, still hanging around. So Malden ends up missing the entire season last year, and now he's he's in a spot, and we talked about it last week with Chad Cascadden. He's in a spot where he's got a he, this is his last shot. He's got to make some plays, but you know, really, with the biggest things working to his advantage, um, a he's a draft pick, and you know, GMs like to keep their picks, right or wrong. Sometimes they'll keep a slightly less talented guy if it's a guy they picked because it's someone they, you know, they're kind of staking their reputation with. They want to see these guys produce. Um, he's got he's obviously got some experience, more experience than some of the guys he's going against, and then that factor, the guys he's going against. This team doesn't have uh, a, a true threat uh, opposite Jordan Jenkins, so Lorenzo Walden is going to be given every opportunity to to make an impact, make an impression, and and get something done. And again, if he does, I think for a, a draft class that they got Leonard Williams right off the bat, you know, with the sixth overall pick, and only had six picks total. I think uh, at you know one or two more contributors to that class makes it you know makes it look much better on paper than a class that only gets one guy. And it's a shame that uh, you know Petty didn't work out, and Harv, you know Jarvis Harrison was the the first McCagnan draft pick to be cut. He he didn't last very long at all. But all in all, that class is going to have some things to prove. And as we said, a couple guys who have a shot, but. I mean, I, I know I, I shot out a tweet earlier this off season. <laughs> Pardon me. I shot out a tweet earlier this off season, asking fans, you know, have you written off Devin Smith? Have you, you know, did, did, do you believe anymore that uh, there's a chance Devin Smith will have an impact for this team? And the, the responses were were pretty predictable. You know, Devin Smith didn't know the guy was still in the league. Is he still on the roster? Thought we cut him two years ago. The typical stuff you expect to hear from a guy who has missed as much time as he has. And it has been. Listen, it's been frustrating. That's a second-round pick. That's a premium draft pick you're using on a wide receiver who can't stay healthy. And, again, especially now with this group, as we've talked about ad nauseum, really, this offseason, personally, I, I never really get tired of talking about it. And that's the wide receiver group. Um, there's some good ones. they got a lot of speed. Smith, of course, was drafted as a speedster out of Ohio State. But you have to wonder, after multiple ACL injuries to the same ACL, what are the chances he's going to come back? And you know, even if he's a, a even if he's able to stay healthy, is he going to is he going to be the same player? And that that would almost be a negative because let's face it, as a rookie, he really struggled. He uh, he struggled with physical corners. He didn't fight. He didn't fight for the ball the way we thought he was. You know, the way <clears throat> we heard him talked about when he was drafted. I always say that I remember. Uh, I remember Ray Lucas on SNY saying that this guy, you know, a 50-50 ball with Devin Smith is a 70-30 ball. That he's going to get it seven times out of ten. And we didn't really see that kind of skill, that kind of fight from him as a rookie. We, I think, feel like we saw more big drop passes than we saw big catches. Because we did. Um, I mean, let's face it, that uh, he had a couple of huge drops in that Texans game where really one of them would have been a touchdown. The Jets probably win that game. That's an 11th win. They maybe go to the postseason. Uh, he also cost them a game against Buffalo with the fumble that Buffalo picked up and returned for a touchdown. So really, he's a guy who only played one one full season or near full season, and he cost the team a couple games and didn't really make any, any breakout plays, any – you know, game-changing, difference-making plays on the uh, on the positive side of things. So it's it's been a rough go for him for his first couple of years. Now, hopefully, he's healthy on the men and and ready to bounce back. But what we're going to do right now, I believe, we do have Olivia Landis on the line. She is joining us. As I said earlier, she's going to be talking a little bit about One Jet Drive, the Facebook series. It's documenting the behind-the-scenes uh, situation during OTAs. And and uh, as I said earlier, some of the previews looks like we'll see a little bit of Nick Mangold today, which will be nice, and uh, mm-hmm. and talk a little bit about her, uh, how she ended up with the Jets as a, uh, a Colorado native. Um, Olivia, are you with us? Hi, guys. I'm on. 
Uh, thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for giving us your time. So um, just wanted to, you know, to get right into it with this uh, this one Jets drive. I was saying at the top of the show that for this time of year, um, as as uh, as scarce as any any new fresh football information is, this was whoever's idea this was with the Jets. I mean, what a fantastic idea! Even if the episodes themselves aren't very long, just giving the fans a, a look behind the scenes at what's going on at One Jets Drive up in Florham Park. Um, what 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 have your thoughts been on the on the series from what you've seen behind the scenes, and what are your thoughts on it overall? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, just to talk about this. But, um, yeah, I think One Jets Drive, the road to training camp, is a really, really exciting show. What I love most about it is the fact that it is truly just a 100% team collaboration. Like our Jets 360 production crew, I mean, this is the stuff, believe it or not, <clears throat> excuse me, believe it or not, this is the stuff we do throughout the off season, anyways, you know, being able to – um, kind of capture these behind the scenes with the players. And I'm not sure if you guys watch Jet Life or not, but, you know, we do these long features on individual players too. So I think what's most exciting about this new series is that it really just gives the fans the ability to know what's going on during those seven months from the time the season ends all the way up until training camp. You know, um, it's, it's a chance for them to be able to kind of get closer to the players and see them as a more humanistic side as opposed to just the football player. So I think it's um, it's really exciting. I'm really happy that it's being so well received. And, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of work goes into it. But, it's you know, I think it's really worth it for the fans. Yeah, I think I, I was going to mention that, too, the, the Jet Life series, for anyone who hasn't checked that out, that that's they do you guys do some really good work on there. Um, I've enjoyed a couple of those. Really, I'm a, you know, I, I think most Jets fans, you know, you, you have to love Bilal Powell and what that guy brings, and seeing his backstory and and his upbringing and going back to his community was fantastic. Um, Leonard Williams is a really good one. So there's there's some really some worthwhile content there uh, for those of you who haven't been checking that stuff out. And now, we, as I mentioned, I said earlier, um, and I don't, <clears throat> you know, of course, the, the episode is going to air later tonight. Um, n- not to give anything away, but w- were you there? Um, I-, I saw that they're going to cover a little bit of a uh, Nick Mangold day uh, a couple months ago. Were you there for that in the building? Yeah, actually, I was. It was really special because you know he means so much to this organization, the Jets organization, and uh, so much to not only the people on the football ops side but the business side as well. So actually, the entire organization was invited to kind of sit in and witness his one more day as a Jet where he signed and then retired, which was really phenomenal. It was super emotional. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I mean, any Jets fan, you know, for for the past 12, 13 years, it, it, you know, or 11 years that Nick was with the team, having an opportunity to watch him play, I think, uh, I, I think that's fantastic that this is going to be, you know, when I heard about the one Jets drive thing, it didn't even dawn on me that that might be included. So when I saw it in the preview for last week, I thought, oh, that's a really nice touch because, I mean, for what that guy gave and uh, and as well as he played for as long as he did, that's it's nice for the Jets, for fans, to get an opportunity to see his last day there. And now you talked about, you know, with that being an emotional day, what what would you say with the, you know, just the overall vibe right now? I know, of course, it's, you know, it's it, OTAs have wrapped up and everyone, you know, this time of year, everyone's optimistic. Everyone believes they can, you know, do something great every season. But what's your, what's your feeling on the vibe in the building, in the locker room with the players and the coaches? Um, is it really as upbeat as, as you kind of – you get that feeling from watching them? Um, it, it, the optimism seems to be oozing out of the organization right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't really speak on behalf of the players, but just from – what I've experienced interviewing the guys, talking to the guys and spending some time with them inside the locker room, you know, really what you see is what you get. A lot of these guys, you know, and this is a great quality of theirs. They're very upfront. They're very optimistic and they're really excited for the small changes that were made and the progress that is being made so far this off season. So a lot of what you've seen and what you've heard from the players, that's truly the feeling inside that locker room, or at least that's, 
what I've been able to experience so far. You know, you're not going to catch a guy that's um, not optimistic or that he's, you know, feeling down or isn't excited about this 2018 season. A lot of these guys are, they really know what they're capable of, especially since it's such a young group. So they know what they're capable of. And, you know, even you've heard a few guys say it, they, they've only scratched the surface so far. So, um, yeah, the, the, the feeling inside the locker room, very positive. And, you know, just coming from Christopher Johnson and Mike McCagnan and Todd Bowles, all of these guys are saying, you know, they're looking forward and they're trying to build off of something that's going to last for a long time. Uh, Christopher Johnson has said it that he doesn't want just a flash in the frying pan. He wants to build something that's going to last for a long time that Jets fans can really look forward to. So I think overall, yeah, there is a super positive atmosphere inside the organization and outside with the players, and I think that's a good thing. I really do. Yeah, you know, I've said a few times this offseason that uh, as a Jets fan, if with, for everything that's going on right now, if you can't allow yourself a moment to – to enjoy, you know, the direction this team is heading in, then I don't know what to tell you. I mean, of course it's all about on the field and they haven't done anything yet, and I understand all that. But, uh, you know, I think Christopher Johnson's comments really resonated with Jets fans when he said that he feels like the the moment they pick Sam Darnold is going to be a franchise-altering moment. And so, of course, we all just now we sit and wait. Um, and, of course, you know, we're all hoping that's the case. But what happens, we don't know. But if you can't enjoy this and, and kind of allow yourself to, to – take in the fact that the Jets got a guy who many people view as the top quarterback in the draft with the third overall pick, um, there, there's something wrong with you. But um, yeah. so tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, Colorado, right? Is that uh, Colorado yeah, State correct. alum? Correct. Mm-hmm. And so, and whereabouts? Is it Denver, the Springs? Where, where are you from in Colorado? So I'm from Southern Colorado. Um, it's about two hours south of Denver, an hour south of Colorado Springs. It's a city called Pueblo. Um, okay. I grew up in Pueblo, and then I attended Colorado State up in Fort Collins. And, yeah, I mean, I grew up in Colorado. Never, I lived <laughs> I lived in Kentucky for a very short stint of my life. I think it was like six months, and then uh, we right. ended up moving back <laughs> because my mom hated the yeah. bugs and stuff. But, yeah, just born and raised in Colorado, and – it it really is crazy that I'm all the way out here in the New York and New Jersey area now because if you would have asked me a year ago if I would be out here, I would probably call you crazy. Well, it's funny how it works out sometimes. You know, my I actually uh, I lived in Colorado for a year myself back in, uh, God, what was it, 96, 97, around there in the Springs. Um, loved the whitewater rafting out there. Loved, you know, concerts at oh, Red Rocks Amphitheater. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, to me – you know, living living overseas now, when people ask me, you know, where do I have to go in the States if I've never been? You know, and, of course, everyone mentions New York, and I always say New York, but I tell people all the time, man, get to Colorado. Um, whether it's the wildlife, the outdoors, the concerts, the sports, like there's a little bit of everything there for uh, for everyone. So fantastic place. And, listen, you landed in New York now with the Jets. Really glad to have you. Uh, we've enjoyed the – I know, at least speaking for myself, enjoyed the content you guys have been putting out on NewYorkJets.com. And uh, oh, thank you. just we want to say thank you so that. much for joining us tonight, Olivia. You guys, seriously, we, you know, we appreciate all that you guys do for, you know, the fans and everything else. It's really awesome to kind of like talk about these things that we have going on and to really know that people are like watching our stuff and like really getting into it. It means so much to everybody within the Jets organization. So uh, we appreciate it and we appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, no problem. You take care of yourself, and we look forward to uh, seeing you at training camp, Olivia. All right, great. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, take care. All right, so that is team reporter Olivia Landis. And, uh, if again, if you get a chance tonight, Jets fans, check it out on Facebook, One Jets Drive, and uh, Jets Life. Again, they've uh, they've done some, some pretty good <coughs> – excuse me. <coughs> they've done some pretty good work there. Um Again, really enjoyed the Bilal Powell piece. I know there was a Robbie Anderson piece, Leo. They've done some really interesting player profiles, done a really good job of of highlighting guys, you know, off the field, their preparation, and, uh, you know, what goes into, you know, where they came from, their backgrounds. 
and it's always it's always interesting to to get a little backstory on these guys because I you know I've I've been told before and I really don't care that uh you know people have been critical of me because I'm I probably do I, I like the human side of stuff I really do I, I understand the the mentality of fans that say you root for the laundry and you know you kind of well I guess I, should, I I don't understand it I understand that it exists but um, to me at the end of the day man these these guys no matter how much they make or whatever their skills are, these are still people, you know, and some of them are pretty damn good guys from, you know, from the the limited exposure I've had with some active players, some retired players, and you talk to these guys and, uh, you know, it's a weird one. You know, it's, you forget that how many fans don't really have an interest in, in taking the time to, to learn about these guys and, and what makes them tick. Me personally, I enjoy that. Um, I like the high, I say it all the time, you know, I, I like the high character players. I understand it's, you know, everyone, I always hear, oh, it's, this league's not choir boys. Who cares if you have a guy who did this stupid thing and this, this idiotic thing. And so what if, so what if Ray Rice punched his, his wife in the face? And I, I mean, that stuff matters to me. And, I, you know, to each his own, I get it. Not everyone cares about that stuff. But uh, if you do, and really, even if even if it's not the at the top of your list, I think that checking out some of the some of the features that the the Jets put out on some of their players <clears throat> is definitely definitely a worthwhile um, worthwhile worth your time to to check it out. So again, tonight I believe it's at eight, if I'm not mistaken. You can check the the Jets page on <clears throat> on Facebook, and you know what? I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to look it up for you. Um, they, it'll air, and I, if I'm not mistaken, it'll it'll be available throughout the week. So that'll be uh, that'll be something that even if you don't catch it when it airs originally tonight, uh, last week's episode, like I said, was only about 12 minutes long, so not overly long episodes. And let's see, Tuesday. <coughs> <coughs> Pardon me, one second. I need a cough button. You know, broadcasters and radio guys have cough buttons. Basically, little quick mute buttons. When you have a ridiculous cold, you're not coughing into the uh, the mic like I am right now. I do apologize, but uh, yeah. So tonight, Tuesday night, I don't see a time on here, but either way, it's a Facebook series, One Jets Drive, the Road to Training Camp, and definitely worth a watch. No news on here, or no, uh, nothing on the preview here about the length of the episode itself. Or yesterday. Um, talked about it last week with with Chad Cascadden, and just got a got a good good few responses on Twitter from from fans through the Jet Nation account and through my personal account, uh, my own account at AceFan23. I say it all the time. I never I never I never I never throw the, the Twitter handle out there at AceFan23. Um, check it out. Um, but again, th- threw out an article today asking Jets fans. Who, who do they believe is you know under under more more heat this year? Who who's <clears throat> who has the most to lose if the team doesn't play well? Is it uh, is it Bowles or McCagnan? And as I said last week, and Chad Cascadden uh, basically concurred. It sounds as if you know Jets fans are on board that with the offseason Mike McCagnan just had and trading up to get Darnold at three. That basically it's all on Todd Bowles this off season, or you know this this coming season, and I, I think that's a fair assessment. And I don't know, I, I don't know. This isn't even to say you know because one person said to me, oh you know why, why even talk about this? There's no way either of them gets fired. They're both safe, and I think that's true to a degree. I, I think, I think if this team goes six and ten. And we see more late blown fourth quarter leads or second half leads, and we we see the defense still unable to get to the quarterback, and we see the defense still unable to get off the field on third down. If all this stuff keeps repeating itself, and we see poor, you know, poor use of timeouts, and you know that debacle last year in Denver, as I as I said at the time, and as many of us said at the time, I can't recall another instance in my life when uh, an NFL coach basically, you know, packed it in at midway point of the third quarter because his team wasn't playing well as uh, as Todd Bowles and the Jets did against the Broncos. 
and I get it. You know, you know, the odds of the Jets winning that game were you know probably a million to one at that point. Because let's face it, the offense couldn't move the ball at all. Denver's defense is phenomenal. They were down big, but you know you, you still can't you, you can't just say, well, you know we, we've got 20 minutes of football left. Let's just go ahead and run the ball up the middle. You know, go three and out the rest of the way, just so we can keep punting it away and get out of here. Um, that doesn't work in the NFL. I don't honestly can't think of another time that I've seen that, or or a time where I've I've heard a coach come out and acknowledge after the game, you know, that and I you know it was more John Morton who said it more openly, but Todd Bowles is the head guy. He's got the headset. You know, there's nothing stopping him from saying, you know, why aren't we throwing the ball here? Why aren't we trying to get back in this game? So we see more blown leads. We see more giving up when you're down. We see more quarterbacks having all day to throw. And your head coach is a defensive genius who's just been giving a legitimate, just been given a legitimate number one cornerback, an upgraded cornerback to a first and second round safety that are entering year two that should be making some, you know, you should see a significant jump in their production. I think that's, uh, I think Todd Bowles has too many, too many weapons at his disposal on defense to, uh, to go out there and, and blow a bunch of leads and still keep his job. So do I think that's what's going to happen? No, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but if it does, I don't see how you can sit back and say, both these guys are safe. There's no way Either of them are going anywhere. Um, I just I, I don't get that. I don't agree with it at all. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Speaking of defense, wanted to talk a little bit about the D line tonight because all of a sudden that's a that's a group that uh, was a pretty big question mark coming into the off season, especially with uh, Mo Wilkerson finally being you know let go for, for mailing it in every week and you know, who was going to replace him and really the Jets sort of they very quietly you know, I mentioned earlier Dion Simon he's a guy, you know, again who may not make the roster, who may not even make the roster um, <coughs> excuse me, part of the reason for that again is, you know, Mike Pennell as we've, you know, we've discussed as often as you hear people say that that uh, McClendon is your, you know, that Steve McClendon is your your nose tackle. You know, the reality of the situation. You see it on film. The numbers bear out, you know, as, as you, when you dig a little deeper. I, I believe it was, uh, yeah, looked at his uh, positional pivots on pro football focus. Um, and he, he's used all over the place, McClendon is. Uh, you know, Pennell's going to be the guy who's on the nose this year, for, you know, the majority of the time as you would expect, again, for a 332-pounder. Um, Deion Simon, he also he's listed at 332. They're both listed at 332. But when you look at Pennell next to Simon, they don't they don't look anything like the same guy. Pennell, just much much thicker guy, much more muscular. And we saw, you know, some of the plays he made last year. I don't think that's the kind of stuff you see from, from Deion Simon, even though, <coughs> excuse me, even though I did like what we saw from him previously. But this D-line now, by by going out and adding, which, by the way, uh, I don't think we mentioned last week the uh, the addition of Courtney Upshaw. He's a guy, former Raven, former Falcon. Uh, I was I was surprised to see him catch on with the amount of depth they have, the Jets have on the D-line now. I guess in terms of veteran, um, Upshaw's got more, more, you know, a lot more games logged than a lot of the guys on the roster. But he doesn't really bring, at least I don't feel like he brings what they need um, you know, he's played some outside linebacker, he's played some D end. Uh seven career sacks, I think, in ninety games, so nothing nothing phenomenal there. I thought that roster spot would go to a, a younger guy, but I guess, you know, Todd Bowles does like to have some veterans around and uh apparently I mean again he's only he's only on the ninety, he may not make the roster, but he's coming to camp, but they have him listed as a D lineman. Pardon me. <clears throat> Have him listed as a D lineman, but in looking at the depth now, and we've talked about Harry Anderson being added from uh, from the Indianapolis Colts on draft day, and then of course Nathan Shepard, the draft pick out of Fort Hayes State, who everybody's a, a huge fan of, and uh, Fuller runs with Fadukasi, 
guy out of Connecticut. We're going to talk a little bit about him actually probably next week. Um, we're going to be joined again. We'll probably, I'm, I'm assuming we'll have Christian again next week, but um, for those of you who have been following us uh, or who have been following Jet Nation on Twitter, seen it, would have seen an article today on Steve McClendon that was written by Harrison Glazer, and he's one of our new writers with Jet Nation. I've had the opportunity to speak with Harrison a few times, and Harrison, you know, I mean, as is often the case when you get when you get folks that are willing to take their their valuable free time and and cover this team, any team really, if if you're that much into your team that you're willing to take free time out of your data to research and write articles, um, passionate passionate fans, and Harrison is definitely one of those guys, much like uh, Dan Fika. And uh, Will Snell is another guy. Um, check them out. Check them out on uh, on Twitter. Harrison, you can follow Harrison. It it's uh, at Harrison H A R R I S O N underscore Glazer, G L A S E R. Uh, we're gonna have him on next week, and we he, he and I have been talking a little bit back and forth about this D line. And if you look at the some of the youth, you know, nice combination of youth and experience. And Fadakasi is a guy who he's a late round pick, but you know, watching him on film, and granted, he played at a smaller school in Connecticut. The guy, just, he just looks like he's strong as an ox. You know, and the same for Nathan Shepard, who just, um, you know, different type of build. But both those guys look like, you know, Shepard, of course, being the higher pick. But Fadakasi's a guy that I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he finds a way to make this roster. I, I mean, at the very least, a practice squad guy. And, you know, maybe that's where he lands for the time being. We'll have to, you know, we'll see how that unfolds. But between adding Anderson, drafting Shepard, drafting Fadakasi, bringing Mike Pennell back, of course Leo's back, Steve McClendon, I think you can get another good couple years out of him. And uh, Xavier Cooper, who actually played fairly well, you know, not not superstar, he didn't light the world on fire. But uh, when the Jets finally got the – the uh, the guts to to sit Mo Wilk last year, Xavier Cooper filled in for him and and he did all right. He he was a serviceable player, and that the Jets D line I've heard some concern about it, but really with the bodies they've brought in and and you know the, the big X factor of course is Anderson because of all the guys on the roster outside of Leo, he's probably the most accomplished, and it's just been a, it's a matter of him staying healthy. You know, that freak larynx injury last year that uh, he suffered against the Houston Texans actually going against uh, Bruno Giacomini. So he missed a lot of the year last season with that. He's had some leg injuries. But at the end of the day, really good player who on, on this D-line, as we talk about the fact that they're 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 missing that that presence on the edge, you know, one way to, one way to improve that edge pass rush is is get guys up front, those, you know, whether you're lining up in a 3-4 or a 4-3 or a nickel set, whatever you're doing, put you get yourself some guys who command double teams. And that can be something that you see from Anderson as well as, you know, of course we know Leo draws the doubles. He he drew most of them last year because, you know, Mo took the year off. So Leo had to fight double teams, and that's, you know, I'm not making excuses for his lack of production because if you're the sixth overall pick and you're supposed to be an elite franchise-altering player, guess what? you, you got to beat double teams. Cause that's what those guys do, but not uh, just you know just making it clear that I wasn't making excuses for Leo, just pointing out the fact if he's facing doubles and if Henry Anderson, if he can get healthy on the other side and Nathan Shepard can play up to you know you know he's, he's year one, we'll see how how he comes along. But you know he's the as we you know as I said when he was drafted, as a lot of people said he's you know he's the anti Mo Wilkerson. You look at his bio. You look at what he did, what he went through to get where he to where he is now. He's clearly not a guy who's going to take you know several plays and several games and several months off at a time. You're going to get max effort out of him. And now you have some you know that gives you some guys up front that you can that you can rotate out and and keep fresh. With you know with McClendon being the guy that uh, as I said we uh, we will discuss him a little bit with Harrison Glazer next week. Um, and he did a piece for us on Steve McClendon uh, yesterday. And if you go to JetNation.com and check it out, says, you know, 
uh, Jets hoping for another stellar season from underrated McClendon. And if you're a regular listener, you know how often we talk about how underrated McClendon is. Um, but he had, you know, he, he was a, he was he graded out at around an 83 per Pro Football Focus, and he was number two in the NFL and uh, run tackles for gain or no or for a uh, for no gain or loss among interior defensive linemen. With uh, he had 14 total. Um, Grady Jarrett had 16. He led the NFL. But Steve McClendon, he's you, ne- you never hear Jets fans talking about him. Feel like you tune into the games. You never hear the broadcaster saying anything about him. You never, <coughs> pardon me, <clears throat> you never hear him getting the credit he deserves. And for whatever reason, he doesn't get talked up. But uh, that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. But McClendon's an, an excellent player. And uh, I do believe we have a caller right now. Is this is this Christian, Christian? <laughs> it, it is. How are you doing tonight, Christian? Doing all right. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a little under the weather here. I keep uh, apologizing to our listeners. I, I I I need one of those one of those cough buttons, you know, that the uh, the broadcasters get because I'm coughing and sneezing and sniffling into the uh, the mic here, which is pretty annoying. But uh, I ho- I hope you're feeling better than I am. And uh, well, I look better than see. you. I, I know I know that much is certain, Glenn. So well, Christian, you are boy. Are you an elite company? There, you would be. You would be <laughs> hard pressed to find someone who doesn't. Um, you know, as they say, face for radio. That's uh, that's got me written all over it. But thank you for joining us, Christian Dyer uh, of Metro New York covers uh, the NFL, which means Jets and Giants for the New York area, and uh, covers the Red Bulls for those soccer fans. Which uh, World Cup, right? Have you you watch a World Cup, Christian? Uh, I've been watching a little bit. It's, it's hard for me with the U.S. not in it. I, I can still enjoy and appreciate it and the, the drama of it. But um, it's, you know, kind of, kind of wake me up now for the second round. We're still in the group stages. so. I hear you. I, I don't watch soccer at all. But since I live in England now and England's doing well, it's like, you know, go out to with my buddies and it's on in the bar. So I'll, talk, I'll watch it. But, you know, interest is minimal. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever. Hope I uh, hope they do well. But um, so yeah, so I I, I previewed uh, to the listeners earlier what uh, the few topics we'll be covering. So let's let's one thing I mentioned. I don't know if you saw it this week. There were a couple of different writers um, from different publications. You know, clearly speculation because that's what you do this time of year because there's no actual football news. But um, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, myself included, when Teddy Bridgewater was signed, I kind of felt like this was a move where. Because, I mean, everybody knew they were still taking a quarterback in the first round. And just felt like Bridgewater was nice insurance, but his most valuable, you know, the thing he could really bring is is a nice draft pick in return should he play well in the preseason. Um, if that knee holds up and he plays at a high level, one, one actually both articles that I saw, one was Rich Samini and the other was uh, someone from the Daily Wire. I can't recall, though, the Jets Wire. I can't recall who wrote it. But uh, saying that perhaps a Teddy Bridgewater – to Jacksonville for Dante Fowler um, based on the fact Fowler's had some injuries and the Jaguars have a ton of money tied up in their defense and they didn't pick up that fifth-year option, so Fowler may be moved. Um, if, if you're the Jets, I mean, it, really a, a multi-tiered question here, but I guess the, the most important thing to get your opinion on, let's say Teddy Bridgewater goes out there this preseason and, and just does everything the Jets ask him to, you know, and plays – Make, make, let, let's say he even makes a little jump, you know, because people forget, you know, he was only he did only have two full years under his belt before he was injured. So let's say he makes what would have been that year two to year three jump as a veteran who's been around a little longer now. Say he goes out in preseason, completes sixty five percent, throws four or five touchdowns and only one pick, and he's you know playing at a high level. What do you think? You know, we hear it all the time in this league: quarterbacks are currency. What do you think the Jets could realistically get for a former first-round pick who's only been in the league for five years and playing at a high level? Yeah, well, listen, at, at the end of the day, you're also talking about an organization that 
um, is two years removed from Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and his two years with the Jets. And you look at what Josh McCown did, um, you know, last season, the, the, the numbers bear some similarities to what Ryan Fitzpatrick did. I mean, not entirely. Uh, Fitzpatrick's season was uh, the second best passing season in franchise history in terms of yards and and, and some of the other numbers were the, were the best in, in franchise history. Um, but, you know, there was a significant drop-off between year one of Ryan Fitzpatrick and year two of Fitzmagic, and it wasn't quite as magical uh, the, the same go-round. So I'm not sure if the Jets, who are, are in a mode with a general manager who need to show a certain level of progress, uh, I don't think they need to get to 500 necessarily, but I think they need to be a team that shows that um, th- there's an improvement from, from four to maybe six wins seven wins and and have meaningful football uh around the thanksgiving table to talk about i'm not sure if the jets would necessarily be all that eager to move on from teddy bridgewater if uh if bridgewater is able to perform even at the level that he did as a rookie which was uh correct me if i'm wrong it was somewhere around 3200 yards and 3400 yards and you know a, a moderate touchdown to inter- interception ratio and some decent numbers and uh, on, on a Minnesota Vikings team that wasn't as prolific offensively uh, as they were this past year. You know, I, I think that uh, Todd Bowles and uh, Mike McCagney would certainly be very happy to, to get something in return for one of the quarterbacks on the roster. Obviously, Sam Darnold uh, is, is untradeable. He's the future of the franchise. But uh, I'm not sold on this idea that the Jets are going to be actively shopping Teddy Bridgewater were he to come out in the first two weeks of preseason. Now, if a team's willing to overpay with a conditional pick that's you know a third that maybe becomes a second or multiple picks down the road, uh, then, then the Jets really need to look at that. But um, McCagnin and Bowles certainly need to show something this year. Season three years ago, they now need to go out there and get some wins and be a team that can excite um, potential free agents and show that, that possibly this thing is going in the right direction. Now, I fully expect Sam Darnold will be uh, in, in a position to start at the tail end of the year and be able to showcase himself and, and really be that building block of the franchise. But, um, you, you, you do that with Darnold, maybe this team is hovering around 500. There's not as much pressure going to be on him necessarily because some of the other pieces are going to be clicking, and this is a team that uh, perhaps has some more confidence. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Bridgewater move, but I'm not sure the Jets are necessarily going to be fully eager to move him quite yet. He may serve his purpose that first half of the year just to kind of get things solidified and make sure the season isn't a dumpster fire. Yeah, you know, the, the thing the interesting thing to me about Bridgewater and the reason I, I would I would lean towards thinking they will try to move him and may, maybe it was just a matter of what he was willing to do. I really really wish they would have found a way to get him signed to a two-year deal. Because sure. then it gives you that flexibility of you can run him out there, you can play him the whole year. If he lights it up and Darnold's ready to take over, then you can trade him in the off-season or on draft day. But by signing him to that one-year deal, you've essentially got six or seven weeks to make a decision. You know, do we hang on to this guy all year and then he walks and we get nothing and he gets a big contract if he played well? Or do we move him at a point where maybe, you know, and I mentioned this last week with Chad Cascadden, that what if you're the Jets and you say, well, you know, Teddy wins the job out of camp. He's going to be our starter until Sam is ready. And then maybe what happens if Teddy starts off 4-1 and one or 5-2? and two? And now the trade deadline is coming, and Darnold is ready. Do you mess with that? Do you trade him, and then and then maybe Darnold comes in and flops, and you lose six in a row. So it it it's it's a it could be a they could find themselves between a rock and a hard place with Bridgewater. But every time I look at that contract, I think and again, this may have been something you know agreed upon with Bridgewater's people. Like, look, we'll showcase him. Uh, you know, it's a one-year deal. He's got a legitimate chance to start with us. And then he wants a chance to test the market after. But, man, I would have loved a two-year deal. A two-year deal to let him you run out there, you use him as you wish this year. And if he plays well, you have a valuable trade chip. But, uh, yeah, I, it's the length of the deal that makes me think they'll look to move him. But And, and I, again, I said it last week, I hope that the Jets, for the first time in my life, that the, their biggest problem this season is they have two quarterbacks playing well and they don't know what to do. Because, um, you know, it, it, that's something I've not seen in my days. But, um my next question, um, sorry, were you going to say something, Christian? 
Yeah, I was going to say, well, you know, in the scenario you outlined where the the Jets are maybe four and two or five and one with Teddy Bridgewater, I, I don't think that uh, Todd Bowles, who a lot of people are going to say is entering the season on the hot seat, I don't think it's quite as hot as a, as a lot of people might be thinking, but you've, you've got a team that's five and one. I think Todd Bowles being the conservative, mild-mannered, and defensive-oriented head coach that he is, would not be opposed to letting Sam Darnold sit for the majority of the year if it means his team is in playoff contention. I, I think Bridgewater is going to be that quarterback who's going to look more impressive out of the three right now. We all know that Darnold's ceiling is, is probably going to be the highest, although, uh, as you alluded to uh, originally, he certainly put together his rookie year uh, an awful lot of promise, and, and, and he looks decent preseason last year and then before the injury and everything else. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater certainly has a very high ceiling too but uh, I think given where the Jets are haven't made the playoffs since 2010 uh, have regressed record wise um, un- underneath um, you know Bowles each of the past couple of years that a scenario where uh, Todd Bowles can maybe rack up some early wins uh, would not be a worse case for him yeah like I said it it would be a, a nice problem to have. I, I hope it, it would be an awkward thinking. problem for Todd Bowles. It'd be a very awkward problem, but it would not be a difficult. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily as difficult of a decision for a head coach who's looking to get a fifth year. Um, I, I think that that may factor into some of these decisions here too. I do think Bridgewater ends up getting moved at some point because a team will overpay. Uh, some team is bound to lose either a starter or their backup and have some uncertainty and will probably give up a higher pick and I'm guessing it'll be a conditional pick uh, which could work out very very well for the Jets and see them early on in day two in a certain scenario um, and keep in mind the Jets also lost out on their second round pick so they may be willing to get that back this year exactly and that was part of my thinking with with the Bridgewater deal that with it being a one-year <clears throat> excuse me one-year deal and they'll be looking to add but for me personally when when I see that you know again 100% speculation but I see Jacksonville, and I mean Jacksonville is one of those teams you look at and go, this team, they might have the best defense in the NFL, and if you give them a guy like Teddy Bridgewater who's going to complete 65% of his passes, um, he, he makes them a Super Bowl contender in my mind. And, and um, I know they only gave Blake Bortles a one-year deal because he, just, he isn't very good, but, uh, and it, you know, they're not going to give him a long-term contract. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, and, again, for me, it's, it's the one-year deal that makes me think they'll look to move him, but my, my hope is that he's playing so well that they, don't, that they're, uh, that they have a, a tough decision to make. Um, and, and, and Bridgewater's so, a tough kid. You put him on a team like Jacksonville that has a fair amount of veteran leadership sprinkled in with some of the younger guys. He's somebody who's going to go out there, gut it out there. No one's ever going to question his work ethic. No one's going to question his courage on the field or his leadership ability. So I think in a, in a place like Jacksonville, he could be a good fit to methodically move the ball down the field. He does a lot of underneath stuff. Their offense is built for that. I, I could see a scenario where, uh, you know, the Jaguars may be coming into preseason or out of preseason, just aren't happy with Bortles. They look at that contract, what's it, one year, $5 million, and say, well, if it doesn't work out, he, he's, he's a moderately priced backup, worst-case scenario. Yeah, and, and that's like I said, that was uh, I saw a few different teams pitched, but that that's one that, that jumped out at me because it would make a lot of sense. They are sort of I don't know if we can put them in the same class as those old uh, Baltimore Ravens teams, but he's certainly better than a guy like Trent Dilfer and might be on a defense that's as good as the one that he was. He won the Super Bowl with. So they went defense in the first round again this year, so that could be a scary good defense. Um, so speaking of defense and draft picks. Uh, Darren Lee, he's entering his third year. I know you and I have talked. We've said that he's a guy we'd like to maybe see Todd Bowles use a little bit off the edge, you know, a little bit more given the fact the Jets don't have a pass rusher out there. Um, what, is, what does he have to do now in year three? I mean, he, he, he had a nice little stretch sort of in the middle of last season where for four or five weeks he just he looked like a better player on film, and then he kind of regressed again. And he just—he's—he's he's a guy that you heard it when he was drafted. A lot of fans said he's—he's he's too small, he's undersized, and you definitely more often than you would like, you see him get run out of plays by bigger linemen once they get their hands on him. But when he's able to use that athleticism and get around guys, he's a guy who can make some plays. 
what do you think we see him off the edge a bit more in some different roles, or uh, you know, do you think it's more of the same? And what does he have to do to get this team to uh, to look at him as a long term solution on this on this roster? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm short of maybe taking about four or five muscle milks a day. I, I'm not sure if uh, Darren Lee is going to be a long-term solution here. And the, the draft reports are right about this guy. He has a hard time shedding blockers. He tries to, but he has a difficult time doing it. He's, he, he is undersized. He's a little lean. He'll fly around. You like the guy in coverage, but you're not asking him always to, to be a cover guy. And, and I know playing alongside David Harrison and uh, Demario Davis last year, and I still think it's a crime that Demario Davis wasn't uh, a Pro Bowl consideration given what he meant oh, to the Jets defense last year. Uh, but, you know, Lee's role, uh, it was specifically um, to kind of be freed up and to chase after the plays, and he had a hard time doing it. You look at him physically, the guy looks like um, a little bit of an oversized safety. Uh, he doesn't look right. the part of being a linebacker, uh, either inside or outside. And, and, and the difficulties with shedding tackles, um, I, you know, I wish I could say that the guy had good football instincts, but, but I'll be honest with you, Glenn, I, I can't tell sometimes because he was getting blown up so much last year. Um, he, he had those couple good stretches, but um, you know, then he also had some games, you know, against New England, uh, one or two tackles. Really, I mean, that that's kind of one of the games where a, a coverage linebacker should thrive because of how much uh, you know New England throws the ball. I know he had and some injuries. Yeah, yeah, a lot of underneath stuff. And, uh, you know, it just seems like he was over-pursuing a lot of plays last year. That good speed, the good coverage ability kind of was uh, overshadowed by the fact that there were a lot of missed tackles. I know he improved on that. But but the things, the issues that we saw coming out of college at Ohio State um, still remain issues. And you want to talk about a guy, uh, you know, who's kind of, I think, defining himself maybe as a one-down linebacker coming in for certain coverage or, or certain types of plays or packages. Uh, Darren Lee's kind of become that guy. And um, Mike McCagnan's done a pretty good job with his drafts, but you'd be remiss to not notice him and, and a couple of the other players, Lorenzo Molden, a, a Devin Smith, a couple of the other ones he had over the past two years. When, when you look and you say, boy, he really struck out. And, and Darren Lee, I'm not sure he's going to find himself uh, in the league much more beyond a year or two. Yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, me personally, I think I was earlier this offseason, I was a little – probably a bit more generous than I should have been. And I was writing an article on him and I think I described him as, you know, having a quality season. And then I sat back and thought about it afterwards. And I thought, no, he had a nice stretch, but all in all, all things considered, he didn't have a very good year. And I think he's yeah. of, of the, uh, of all of Mike McCagden's first rounders, I think he's the guy who's going to have the hardest time finding, getting a second contract with this team. And uh, a couple guys you mentioned, that I wanted to talk about before we uh, before we sign off here, you know, the the sort of the at least in, in my experience, the, the the universally accepted standard for for judging a draft class, whether or not it was a you know boom or bust class, success or failure, is people want to see three years out of that class. Um, so Mike McCagnan, of course, has only had one class that's that's gone three years, and that's his first draft class, of course, and the only player that's really done anything. Uh, is Leonard Williams. Um, you know, we know Bryce Petty is gone. We know Jarvis Harrison was gone in a hurry. Um, but you've got Devin Smith, who's still miraculously hanging around. You've got Lorenzo Malden, who's trying to come back from an injury last year. And, and a guy I mentioned earlier who I, I thought would have had a bigger role last year. I was really surprised to see uh, to see Deion Simon get sent to the, the practice squad. I thought he, he showed some good things in 2016. thought he was an, a guy who was trending upward. But uh, he's still on the roster, but I think he may be one of the odd men out with all the bodies they have on the D-line this year. But what are the, do you think there is a chance in hell that either Lorenzo Malden or Devin Smith find a way to make this roster, even as, as situational role players, um, just to kind of – because, of course, the Jets did only have six picks in that draft. Um, so two out of six, at least on paper, looks a hell of a lot better than one out of six. Is there any chance one of those guys breaks through and, or at least just becomes a, a regular contributor? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, people always like to say, oh, 
uh, all seven of, a, of of this GM's draft picks, and, and they say this about you know GMs around the league. Uh, you know, all seven of them made an NFL roster. Well, that can be deceiving because the GM is the one picking, who, you know, and, and saying who, the final say who makes an NFL roster, and and very oftentimes deference is given to uh, the draft picks so as to enhance his uh, his own record and his own drafting ability. Um, you know, and that's a little bit of a misnomer. I, but with that being said, I, I think it'd be very hard to say, uh, especially when, as we outlined just a few moments ago, when talking about quarterback situation, you have a general manager here who could well be in his last year with the Jets. I'm not saying he should be, but that's going to be a lot of the speculation heading into preseason. And uh, I'm not sure if he'd want to say that his his you know first draft class one out of six still remain on the roster. That's the kind of thing that can get. Uh, a general manager out of New York in a hurry. Uh, you know, D- uh, Darren Lee, just speaking about him a few moments ago, you look at the numbers last year, not horrible. 67 tackles, three sacks, but again, the number of blown tackles, uh, the missed tackles, the poor angles that he's taking, uh, certainly not what you want to have as a, as a calling card uh, pick uh, for a general manager. L- Lorenzo Malden, the injuries he went through, um, you know, a year ago, not playing uh, before that, not exactly putting up big numbers. We talked about this guy being a thumper, um, you know, someone likened him to kind of a Rex Ryan line, which was uh, he was playing with his hair on fire. You, you you didn't really always get to see that, A, because situationally he, he, he wasn't an every down player in, in the Jets defense, but also just schematically doesn't seem like he's necessarily a fit in, in Devin Smith. I'm not sure we're ever going to know if Devin Smith is a talented player, A, because of the injuries, but I also think there's the attitude. I remember seeing him as a rookie and talking with him, and, you know, this guy was talking like he was Keyshawn Johnson out there, uh, the cockiness, the edge that he had, and, um, you know, just some of the issues that he has, and certainly injuries being the key. This guy is an an exciting wide receiver, but uh, at the end of the day, when you've got different players and and you talk about bringing in a Terrell Pryor and you've got a Quincy Anunua already on board and and Curse and and Robbie Anderson, it's going to be very hard for Devin Smith to make this roster. He may be able to help you um, on special teams, but so too can a lucky Whitehead, a player who can add a similar type of skill set and production when you look at overall NFL production, uh, Devin Smith just doesn't have it. I think his rookie year, he had, what, nine, ten catches for 112 yards. This is not a guy who showed that he has game-changing ability. So, um, well, I think that there could be a role, uh, certainly for Darren Lee, when you look at the production a year ago, um, and then Lorenzo Molden, situationally and also contract-wise, to, to me, I think it's a pretty safe bet that Devin Smith enters uh, training camp as the most likely of Mike McCagney's draft picks to, to probably find himself on the outside looking in come week one. And so, so that you made the point, you know, because we've talked about this before and, you know, how GMs will do that. They'll, they'll, they'll tend to keep their guys because it's their guy and they want to give them a – that that little bit of extra oh, room to, and, and to John kind of grow. was the king of that. John Idzik was the king oh, of that. Guys John, John Idzik dra- drafted eight, you know, thirteen bums, and he going on and on about how they're all on the roster, as it, uh, ign- completely ignoring the fact that every one of them was playing terribly. Even Brian Winters, you know, back when you know Brian Winters is, is, is a nice player now, but he his first year or two he wasn't very good at all. Um, they had just nobody in that class was playing well, but John Isaac was proud to stand up and say, "All my picks are on the roster." I couldn't believe it. You can anyone can keep your picks on the roster, but how are they playing? That's what people want to know. But um, it, you know, it, with that in mind, I said earlier in the show that one of the things that surprised me this past season was the fact that the Jets kept Mike Pennell over Deion Simon because I really felt like Simon played well a couple years ago, um, and then this preseason. I felt like he was just as good, if not better, than Pennell. And then Pennell gets the nod. Simon goes to the practice squad. Um, is he a guy that you think has any chance to stick, or do you think Deion Simon is history? Uh, you know, it, it tends to be an indication when you go to the practice squad. Listen, Deion Simon, uh, 
is is a player who I think has has a legitimate shot at making the 53-man roster. But, again, it's about numbers. Again, it's about getting chances. It's about the undrafted guys. And, you know, the, the Jets have shown that they've had a willingness under uh, Mike McCagnin. And I think you can make the argument, going back to Mike Tannenbaum, that they do love the undrafted guys. So uh, I think if, if he's going to end up making this team, he's going to have to battle one of the, a couple of the undrafted guys who, who, are, who might just be there ahead of him. Yeah, I think the guy, the guy that jumps out to me, the uh, undrafted D lineman, Mike Thomas, out of Texas Tech, big-bodied guy who would probably play, play that Deion Simon role. But either way, we, time will tell. We'll know soon enough. Uh, thank you so much, Christian, for joining us. As I mentioned earlier, Christian Dyer writes for Metro New York, covers the NFL, Jets and Giants, and Red Bulls football. Christian, anything to add before you go? I just hope you feel better. Go get some airborne. All right, thanks a lot, Christian. Take care. Take care. All right, so that was Christian Dyer uh, covering a few different topics, Mike McCagney's draft picks, Teddy Bridgewater's trade value. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. That, that, that'll be one of the more interesting storylines during the preseason um, and as the season approaches. If you think back to, uh, or you know, oftentimes we, we see these deals get made where teams move a quarterback, what was it, a few years ago when the, the, the Vikings had to make a last-second deal for, for Carson Wentz. Um, or, uh, sorry, not for, for Sam Bradford opening things up for Carson Wentz in Philadelphia uh, because of, you know, Bridgewater's injury. So we see these things happen. We see guys get hurt and go down in preseason. And then they have to be replaced, and teams need a quarterback because if you don't have one going in, your season's over before it starts. So time will tell. We'll know what happens there. And just wanted to thank you all for tuning in. We will be back here again next week. As I said, uh, Christian will be back with us, and we look forward to having – Harrison Glazer, one of Jet Nation's newest writers on board with us. Thank you all so much for tuning in this evening, and you have a great night.